Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. presented by Omaha. We are in the thick of the holiday season. That's how most people are viewing these days and these weeks as they're ticking by. But for us, Brett, we have entered the real, real business part of Premier League. This is when the table starts to matter a little bit more. The fixtures are flying fast and furious and we'll finally hopefully find some separation. Are you looking forward to Boxing Day and the rest of the fixture congestion or is it just too much soccer for one guy to handle? Uh, It's my favorite part of Christmas, Toby. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I want under my tree is uh soccer matches the day after on boxing day. So yeah, I mean, this is uh this is always my favorite time of year. I mean, I know it's, I feel bad that I enjoy it so much because it's such a terrible like schedule congestion for the actual athletes that go through it. But I just love that like pretty much from the 23rd through like new year's day, we're going to have premier league soccer. So yeah. that's my Christmas. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm just, I enjoy it. And Godspeed to the athletes. <laughs> well, I like to picture Kyrian Trippier going to his tree, and maybe like after he tucks into a nice pudding, he realizes there's one box left, and he goes to look at it, and it's from uh, from Sun, and it's his soul. He gave his soul back after he got snatched <laughs> from him last week. He returns it to his body, and that's what he gets under his Christmas tree because God knows it is missing. What an unbelievable ass-kicking Tottenham delivered to Newcastle last week. Yeah, uh, we were. I was off on that one. Uh, shockingly, the analysis of both teams are broken. I'm just going to take the higher money line. Uh, was not good analysis. Uh, yeah, on my part. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the answer of the who's more broken question, uh, or we got the answer to the question of who's more broken. Uh, but other than that, it was that was shocking. I mean, Newcastle is clearly in a serious rut right now. Well, we'll dig into Tottenham here in a second. Newcastle and Chelsea are both taking the week off, thankfully for my blood pressure. But before we get into breaking down that last week even further and looking forward to this week's bets, I wanted to ask you a question that came to me over the weekend. Watching Manchester United struggle, watching Chelsea struggle, watching Newcastle struggle, watching Tottenham bounce back and forth from, you know, are they struggling or are they not? It made me really start to appreciate the relative stability at Arsenal, Liverpool, and City. These three clubs have separated themselves, I feel like, from the rest of the league, not just on the table, but in meeting expectations within a fairly tight range. Like anything that could happen in a Chelsea Chelsea team, like you would believe anything. Like, you know, Simmons used to talk about the Tyson zone. I would believe any headline about Chelsea at this point. Pretty similar for Newcastle and United, probably the Spurs as well. But these, uh, these three clubs... They don't have that, right? Like they might have some injury crisis. They might have a couple of games where they have bad performance. But in the last few seasons, they have been relatively stable. You could depend on them to be competitive, to not go too far from center, and to kind of give you maybe not the sublime stuff that City's capable of delivering, but never like the subpar effort that you will see from a United or Chelsea team on a given week. So my question, Brett, after setting all that up, is why is that? What are the core reasons at those three clubs that are to be available to them that isn't available to their peers that allows them to have this relative stability uh it's always the most boring answer and it's ownership 
Mm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you think about it, like the, the those three teams, you know, one is, city is owned by you know Sheikh Mansur, the UAE. Um, so you have a huge influx of money um, illegally, <laughs> probably put into the club, as we're going about to find out with some trials that are going on. Um, but their money is done well. You know, they 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 went and got the best manager in the world. You and I have been on the show for up uh, oh, three years now, which. You know, hey man, congrats! Like happy like three year anniversary. Sure. Um, but it, we uh, we have talked you know a lot about value adding managers. How there's a, a, quite a few that are just kind of there, um, and a lot of it is just the team and the manager kind of takes the blame for the players on the pitch. Um, but you know Pep clearly elevates teams. I mean, I think at this point <laughs> that's inarguable. You know, you can give him the Phil Jackson treatment however what you want, but he has elevated players, elevated teams. He's built really impressive machines. He's turned over different eras of teams year after year. So, you know, you have a super rich club with the world's best manager. That seems like it's pretty hard for them to fail. Uh, when you get to Liverpool, that one is, you know, this is the another running joke that we've had. There's about three teams that do smart things. Uh, they might all be in the Premier League in, 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 until you maybe put in AC Milan at this point. Um, but that's Liverpool, Brentford, and Brighton. And Liverpool basically just had a structure under FSG and Michael Edwards where they incorporated their analytics department. So a lot of Premier League clubs are like, spending money and they're hiring people that can do data analysis but there isn't like a process right liverpool it wasn't it wasn't like liverpool is like having all this crazy advanced stuff to unearth these players like mo salah and all that it's more so that like their analytics partner was it was built into their line of decision making by michael edwards uh we saw the little run when edwards left where it looked like Klopp got control and you had like cody gekbo and darren nunez signings but then it stabilized with like soba sly Gravenberch uh, came this window, which are, you know, typically players that you would have found when like Ian Graham and stuff were there. Um, but they just have a, a good decision-making apparatus. They've done a great job of marketing a, a historically popular club as well. And it helps to get back into the Champions League pretty much annually. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is a team that's just well run. And then Arsenal, I guess the way I would describe it or the, the way I would phrase this is just the Crockies aren't the Glazers. And I think that just by them being like sort of mediocre, above average, non-meddling ownership group, it's kept Arsenal afloat. And, they, and they've and they kind of also banked into this like nice young core with players like Martinelli and Saka coming up and, and giving them like a, a really young, impressive things. They, they hit a home run with Odegaard. Um, you know, Jesus has been really good for them. Um, so, I mean, they've, they've sort of hit on some signings. They've had some young players kind of come up and be really impressive. Um, so I think for them, it's just like they're just kind of the Crockies aren't like amazing and they don't do all this like super interesting stuff, but they're just they're OK. They stay out of the way and it allows the, the soccer club to function without being pulled in a million different directions. It almost sounds like your answer is the ownership of the other clubs drag them down, whereas the ownership of these yeah. three clubs at least like don't sink them. Like even if they don't elevate them, they don't they don't serve as an anchor. And so like I think what's interesting there is like let's take that premise because you know I, I think that is true. And then if you take the man 
manager that they layer on top. There are, we debate this all the time, right? Like how much managers matter, but like mm-hmm. Klopp and Pep are clearly on the list of managers that matter. And then Arteta, I, I don't know, but you know, you, I'll, I'll, I'll accept an argument that maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But it becomes interesting, right? Like if you don't have a counterforce, if you don't have an ownership that's dragging you down, and then you need a coach to be so good, like so incredible to like get back up uh, to to counteract that. And if you don't, then you have you know varying degrees of chaos as we're seeing at these other clubs. And but when you have Liverpool, when you have City, and you have Arsenal, at least have stability at the ownership level, like they're not you know pushing or pulling. And then you get a really good manager, and they're a great manager. Then they can elevate so far high up. It's almost impossible for everybody else to catch them over the long term. And so like you would either need to you need ownership to destabilize for everybody else to catch them, or you need the coach to leave so that that coach isn't elevating from the stable position, and maybe even you hire. Some somebody who would sink them down to the rest of the league's level. Yeah. I mean, like I'm not trying to, to, to bring up Chelsea right now because you're in the middle of one of the downward swings. of. It's the right time to talk about Chelsea's and it's clearly why I was thinking about it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you had Roman Abramovich and, and in a lot of ways, you know, he started this template of, he put a lot of money into the club. He was willing to spend, which was huge for some of their title runs for their champions league trophies. That was great. But he was also very clearly a very impatient owner with no infrastructure in terms of like an apparatus to replace managers, a coherent system in terms of buying players, but like he was willing to spend. And I think the reason that Chelsea was never like a level thing where you'd get a champions league win and then a 10th place finish. And they would be like within the same window of time is just because of the fact that, you know, he was a little bit impetuous in terms of like, this isn't working. I spent a bunch of money next guy up. And then next summer I'm spending on this guy. Right. Um, um, and then I think, you know, the Glaciers have just been huge. I mean, they they took over United, um, you know, as a hostile takeover, they leveraged the club with a ton of debt. They've taken money out of the club. They, they're, clearly, there was never any plan in place post Sir Alex Ferguson of how to build like an actual modern football club. Our friend Ryan O'Hanlon uh, wrote about United, I think this last week. Um, where he really laid out in great detail kind of what's happened since the, the Alex Ferguson era took um, was was ended. And it's just dysfunction, like all the way through, right? And like, there's there's never been a thing where you and I have sat here and been like, I see United's vision. They're doing some really good stuff, right? At least Chelsea has put money on. They've, they've tried to hire hot new managers. They've tried to hire dis- difference makers. They've spent mostly on players that have made, made a difference. You know, United has just been a, a flaming dumpster fire that got lucky with some decent finishes in a couple of years. And I mean, that, but it's clearly reflective of what the ownerships are doing. Todd Bully is is sort of kind of coming to the same vein as the Abramovich thing. Like the, the new the long term contracts are kind of interesting, but he's also spent like crazy. He's went through a manager already. I don't know how long you think Potch is going to last, but that could be another change that's coming. And and the Glaciers as well. I mean, Ten Hag is going to be out. There's going to be no system in place for how United is going to replace him. It's going to be a new manager, new style, new preference on players, no underlying process, and it's going to be a train wreck. Yeah, I mean, I would disagree with you what you're saying about Abramovich. Like, the, 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 the point I'm bringing up, is like Liverpool, City, and Arsenal, the bet you would make for a year that they fail is like, would they not qualify for the Champions League? It would be yeah. like as far as you would look at the sheet, right? Like you wouldn't like be looking farther than that. With Chelsea and United and Newcastle and Tottenham, you're looking at, will they finish bottom half? 
And like, if you have three drinks, you're like, look at a relegation odds. Like the range of outcomes <laughs> is so like tight for the top three teams and so wide for the other three teams. So I don't know if Bramovich, it wasn't that way for Chelsea. I mean, how many straight years did they qualify for the Champions League? I think they had one year where they finished 10th, that like horror Mourinho year. But otherwise, they were always top four in the league. And I think part of it, uh, no matter how they got there, because they didn't get there through the stability model that you're promoting, but no matter how they got there, they ended up getting there. And part of it was just like ruthlessness and tactics and and the ability to spend money and things like that. But they always found themselves in place. It's just not how it is anymore and so like part of it i think is just the entire shock to the system that chelsea received as a result in the war of ukraine and the, the forced change of ownership and you know still trying to find the waters a little bit calmer to or through and the other part is just the whole dang league's better and chelsea has really 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 struggled against teams um at that you know eight through 17 18 spot and that's what's cost them more than anything else so, but for United, I mean, like dysfunction is definitely, I'm not saying Chelsea is not dysfunctional, but the dysfunction of both of those teams is remarkable. And I think what's what's interesting is like Newcastle has City's money, Chelsea has City's money, but City is the only one who has separated themselves through their use of their funds. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's just, they they hired a guy with a vision, right? And then they empower that vision. You know, they, they do have well-respected people um, you know, in places for or for their player recruitment as well. But you know that that I mean, you and I and and everybody who's probably listening has seen this at any job, right? Like you get a boss or manager or someone who's in control, and you have a vision for something, right? And if it's coherent yeah. and you can line it all up, it works. And when you have someone like Pep, like he has a clear style of what he wants out of his teams. He knows how to get it out of his teams. He knows how to work with the front office staff and the funds that City has to to build this this thing. We've never seen that. Graham Potter is definitely not the same style of manager as Pochettino. Like they're, I wouldn't say completely opposite, but you have one guy that was kind of, you know, his last year at Brighton was a very defensive kind of conservative possession thing. And then immediately they go to Poch to this high pressing, you know, put your foot on the gas, like hyper aggressive thing. And so I think like the vision aspect is just huge with all these teams. There's never been a vision for United ever since Sir Alex Ferguson left. They had one man that was controlling everything. And when he was gone, everything went with it. And I think with Chelsea, the, the turmoil, especially now in the bully era, is like they don't know how they want to play. They don't know what they want the club to look like. They don't want to see it on the pitch. So you've had all these, these transfers that have come in. And I I think what what all these clubs need is just a plan. Like just and that that's the joke about the Liverpool thing. Like they were so well run because they just had a plan. It wasn't like we can't we can't comprehend what Liverpool's doing, but they just like had a process and they stuck to a process and it, that made them yeah. most well run clubs in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we kind of just went full circle to it kind of comes back to the manager because the manager has to have enough success and gravitas to earn the right to stick around and implement the plan. And those three clubs have allowed those three guys to do it, whereas the rest of the league hasn't. So maybe that's ultimately uh, the answer here, right? It's a combination of stability, vision, and time to execute and the patience and then pulling it off. But I guess it can't just be that in sports. Otherwise, Belichick wouldn't be looking at the second overall draft pick and Pop wouldn't be looking at 18 losses in a row. So there's a few other elements to it as well. Not sure we cracked it, but sure we'll talk about it again as those three continue to elevate themselves above the rest of the league. Uh, so, Brett, let's go ahead and take our first break and then get right into Manchester United versus Liverpool, as that is clearly the best match of the week. 
You know, when the conversation turns stampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up. Omaha full. The word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit GamblingHelplineMA.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.net, New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
All right, Brett, let's get into the action. First up, we have Liverpool first at 37 points versus Manchester United, six to 27 points. This game is Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Liverpool is minus 320, a big number I was not expecting. United is plus 700. The draw is plus 475. Liverpool minus a goal and a half is minus 125. United is minus 105. And this seems like a massive, massive number for a two teams. They're separated by 10 points, but they're not separated by 100 points. Like This is what you would expect to see Liverpool favored against, against like a bottom half of the table team, maybe even a bottom five team. But they bookmakers are giving United no respect whatsoever. Um, and I can't really say I fully blame them. I mean, like United actually make me scared for Chelsea's future. We kind of t- touched on this at the top of the show, but just like to tie a bow on it. United has been bad for a long time. And like the thing with Chelsea is we keep saying, oh, they'll figure it out. They'll get good. But United hasn't done it. Like United hasn't done it. They have no signs of doing it now. Like what is the future for that club? And is this like what we're going to see? Are we going to see United as, you know, whatever they are, plus 700 against teams like Liverpool going forward forever, even though they have the brand to be whatever they want to be and should be a dominant force? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you brought it up when we were talking about the other clubs kind of before the break, but I mean, the money in the Premier League now is giving a bunch of these mid-table teams and look at Aston Villa spending power and what it's brought them, right? Like, there's a there's a new floor for Manchester United, and it's sort of scary. Like, when I was looking at this line, you know, one of the first things that popped in my head, and this is going to be, you know, weird when I announce, like, I'm actually going to take United to cover the spread, but that's more of a Liverpool thing. But um, is I was like, yeah, you know, there is there much difference between Crystal Palace and United? And if you look at the results right now, there is absolutely not. Uh, I think United is is just about, I think they're minus 0.7 XG per 90. Uh, Palace is minus 0.15. And, and, you know, Palace has played with Michael Lise, who your Chelsea club actually wanted, and is one of their bright young attackers. And when, you know, Palace loses a player like that, that's huge for a mid-table team like Palace. But Roy Hodgson still has them hanging around United's level. This team with what's seemingly unlimited spending power. And I think that right there, like, sort of crystallizes, like, you know, holy crap. Like, United can be as bad as Palace because Palace actually can sign a guy like Elise now to decent wages to keep him around for a couple of years longer than normal. And I think, yeah. you know, that's the scary part for a club like United right now. It's like Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, like, these teams – aren't going to ever match their money, but they have enough money now to drop them further in their floor, further and further. Dude, I know it's the holiday season. I don't want to be grinchy and I don't want anybody to be unemployed, but they, I mean, don't they have to move on from 10 hog? Like how can they keep rolling out the tactics that they're currently doing? Watching them try to play out of the back against Bournemouth of all teams was absolutely farcical. They were just getting destroyed by that press because they don't have guys who can act upon it. And now they don't have Fernandez who's, uh, who's suspended for this game. They don't have Casemiro, obviously, because he's still injured. They still have Harry Maguire, although they might catch some injury luck there as he might miss the game. Uh, and how like, how long can this go on? 
Like I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to hear this, you to say that you're taking United just because I don't see how United can score in this game. I I don't see how they can generate anything without Fernandez with um with Rashford on the form that he's on, unless McTominay again gets so far forward that he scores, which leaves a massive, massive, massive hole for one of the best counterattacking teams there ever lived, Liverpool, to exploit. So why are you taking United in this match? Uh, I mean, that's more about Liverpool than it is about uh, United. And, and you and I talked about portfolio betting over this this break where I was going to start taking a lot of underdogs, especially underdogs that don't have midweek competitions. But, you know, Joel Matip is out. Andy, Andy Robertson is out. Uh, you are here every week, every week, letting people know Trent Alexander-Arnold's defensive limitations. Um, you know, Liverpool is, is rotating guys like Endo and Elliott. Uh, into their midfield just because they have to, you know, because of the, the schedule congestion. Um, and I, I mean, their results, like Liverpool's results weren't impressive. Like they, they were, I mean, there's a penalty that would even the overall expected goal total. Um, but I mean, there was the also red card for Palace and that game was yeah. way closer. The Fulham game, they had to completely scramble to come back and score a bunch of wonder goals in order to turn that result into a win. So I think we're getting a pretty, I think we're meeting a pretty tired Liverpool team. And so I just don't know if they're a goal and a half better than anybody when there's plus money involved in that line. Um, and so I think for me, this is like, I'm not sure that these teams can separate that much from each other more than it's like, I trust United to score a goal. It's more, I think these are going to be two tired teams. I think that means that you're going to get a sloppy Nick goal somewhere. And I'm not sure Liverpool is in a place right now with the way the schedule's laid out that they're just going to truck somebody. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I really bailed them out with that red card. I do definitely agree with that. Although they were really hosed on that VAR review. Like the the VAR review is preposterous. Like how five minutes? A VAR review being preposterous, Toby? What? It was, it was Tell five, me more. It was five minutes after the action. Like what the hell? Like were they going to stop Maradona's funeral so they could finally go back and review the hand of God? Like how far back are we going to go? There's got to be some limits on this. What are we? What are we even doing? Um, but look, I agree with everything that you said. Which, by the way, is why my prop bet is both teams score no at plus one thirty-five. Uh, it looks like you're making the exact same, same ones. It's like you've got you've got these tired legs. You've got both teams that have the ability to not score, particularly on the United side. And I looked at the Liverpool clean sheet win. The Liverpool clean sheet win is only plus 150. So why would I like only eat like such tiny juice for the chance that Liverpool kind of, you know, soccer is fluky and can't get one over the line despite the gaping holes in midfield. But on the on the whole, on the odds, if I have to give out a pick, I would still take Liverpool to cover here because I just I have no faith in United. I have no faith in United whatsoever. And I know they struggled against Palace and they had to come back against Fulham. But I actually think those teams with the roster that it, that United is going to roll out, particularly after that Bayern Munich game midweek, I think I think Palace and Fulham would be a stiffer competition for Liverpool. I think United is going to be dregs in this game. Uh, I mean, there definitely <laughs> is an argument to be made about overall talent when Eze is back for Palace, when you have Eze and Elise on the wings, especially with the form that Rashford is in now, that Palace might have better attacking talent, um, which is bonkers conversation that that can even be debatable at this point. Um, but I mean, I get what you're saying there. This is just kind of my, like I said, this is this is something where I'm noticing these teams are just tired and dragging I haven't been super impressed with Liverpool's result. I haven't seen them separate enough 
from teams that maybe are around United's level right now to the point where I'd feel comfortable taking a goal and a half spread against them. So it's like, I'm just eating the one and a half. I don't know if in real life I'll ever put, would ever put money on this, but it just seems like with the plus money, the value is on that side. Yeah. And Nunez, like, I think he has a good chance to score this match because they're really struggling with height. Um, I mean, Shaw was getting pretty torn up on on high crosses. McGuire's never been particularly great at them. Onana, who the hell knows what he's going to do on any ball that, that goes across. Me. That's hurt my soul that he's been so bad. But I'm just I'm attributing it to the Manchester United stink. Yeah, not Onana himself. So I am backing Nunez both to score in this game at plus 100 and get signed by the Kansas City Chiefs since they love guys who cannot stay on sides. Uh, All right, let's go ahead and move to the next one. Nottingham Forest, 16th at 14 points versus Tottenham, 5th at 30 points. This is a Friday game, Friday at 3 p.m. here in the States. Spurs minus 145, Forest plus 360, the draw is plus 300. Spurs minus half a goal is minus 145, Forest plus 115. So we teased it at the top of the show, Brett. Let's go ahead and dive deep into it uh, here. What were your takeaways from Spurs and Newcastle on the Spurs side? Uh, Newcastle is definitely injured and run down and about to slip. Um, I mean, they they had a really poor Champions League Um I mean, the beating that PSG should have put on him <laughs> would have probably punctuated that a little bit more. The fact that they finished last in group. But, you know, this this is kind of what happens, right? Like this is a team that probably got to the Champions League last year based on the strength that they didn't have a, a you know commitment to a bunch of intercontinental or continental competitions that allowed them to focus on the league. And then we we see that we're seeing this with Brighton too, to another degree with Europa League. So then you have to make your roster a little bit deeper to withstand these extra games that you're you're going to put your best players out for. Like you're not going to just like play your academy kids in the Champions League all of a sudden. Um, and I, I think with the injuries, with the added games, like the talent uh, level at United is kind of shown, or Newcastle, Newcastle has shown through a little bit more. Like there was a bunch of players that were overperforming. And I think part of it was just like, they were more rested most of the times when they were playing the better clubs. Um, and now we're kind of seeing that all come together. And it, it scares me that that team had such a poor performance against a Tottenham team that I don't think is on the ascension anymore. Um, I, I think there's real concern with Newcastle right now. Yeah. Well, I agree, but that is not the team that's in front of us right now. So did you yeah. take did you take Spurs scoring four goals and really bossing Newcastle to mean that like my fade Spurs run is over? Or do you think that that was a blip and it was more, it sounds like more reflective of Newcastle than the Spurs reversing their poor run of form previously? I'm definitely not sold on what's what's going on with Spurs. I, I think, you know, we're going to see a little bit of a leveling out. I don't know if we'll see like a complete cratering from them after their highs. Um, I'm going to take them on the money line at minus 145. And uh, part of that is, and part of my my next bet, which is the clean sheet win at plus 190, um, is mostly the fact that like, I think we're going to see a lot of this is the same kind of thought process with Liverpool is when you talk about a team that presses, we're going to see these crazy performances, right? Like, cause when you press, you know, you and I are basketball guys, 
you know, when you watch a team press and they're better than the other team or the press is really turned on, they're turning them over, you know, those are 20 point wins sometimes. Right. And then when they play that team that breaks the press constantly and it's just weaving through them and the ball's going down the court and they're getting layups on the other end, you know, that's where like Fulham can beat them four to one in this you mm-hmm. know, cross sport analogy. So this one, I think the fact that we know that our boy Oz is going to keep the foot on the gas, I don't trust not Nottingham Forest to be able to play the ball forward at all. They That team yeah. is A, not very good. Um, I'm salty at them because they benched our boy Matt Turner. Like, come yeah. on, man. Um, and I, I also, they just didn't, they didn't build a team with anybody in their back line or any midfielders that can move the ball off the field through a press. They don't have yep. people that can carry the ball. They don't have people that can pass the ball. And I think when they play, play a team like Spurs, we're going to actually get, you know, this unexpected outcome where they're going to suffocate them despite some of the issues they're having just because that press is going to be matched perfectly against his team. Yeah, I guess after three years, I'm glad we disagreed over Liverpool and United because we definitely see this game the same. Uh, Forrest is on a very poor run of form. They got drilled 5-0 by Fulham last time out, was capped a string of four consecutive losses. I'm sorry, not last time out because that was last week, and then they had a draw with Wolves in between. Um, but I think that's all just shows that them beating Aston Villa a month ago was just pure, purely an accident. I think that was just freakish. Yeah. That's one of the fluke results of the season because every other decent club has walked away with three points. As much as I want to fade the Spurs, they are at least decent. So if the books aren't going to adjust the line, if they're just going to keep Spurs like where they're at and not make them pay a penalty for playing a poor team, I'm going to back them this week to do the same, do the job and grab the win. Yeah. And I mean, this is, you talk about the books too. Like there are definitely things that um, as a better, you can talk about that, like are absolutely being factored into things by the books, but the books are going to take Spurs run kind of on the aggregate and then come up with these lines. They're not going to specifically go, okay, well, you know, the, when they press teams that have these types of players, it can cause bigger problems than when they have, you know, when they press a team that has a bunch of players that can play out from the back. Those are the things that books don't take into account. They're not talking about expected thread or or packing stats. They're just taking runs on the aggregate. They're, they're using their models to build these lines. And so this is where, like, the volatility of the Spurs can pay off because – most of the time you and I would never trust Spurs on a clean sheet win. Probably maybe I still don't. At, yeah, I still don't. Still, don't. still you still don't. I am. But for the most part, we'd maybe bet that like one or two times over the over the rest of the year. And I think this is like one of those two times where that play has value. Yeah, I'm fading you. So I am going <laughs> on my prop bet with Spurs to win and both score at plus 220. So I am we're aligned on the Spurs, but I am betting Forrest finds a way to get one just because Spurs have not kept a clean sheet since uh, Vandeven and Madison got hurt. And I see no evidence outside of what you're presenting to me about press resistance that they will keep one at anywhere in the near future as they continue to play this aggressive high line and their opponents knock on the door of 2XG or higher every single game since those injuries. So with their current tactics and personnel, it's, it's a fluke if they don't concede a goal and you get an excellent payoff here and they continue to doing exactly what they have been doing under the Friday night lights. Well, I just want you to, I mean, you know, we're always pride ourselves on our honesty. I mean, forthright when we make mistakes or when we have conflicts of interest, can you just admit to me now that like Chris Wood is like a distant relative of yours? Is that what, is that where the faith in the forest is coming from? No, absolutely not. This is my one way to fade spurs. <laughs> even when I back them. Uh, uh so 
To another team that's fading, we got Manchester City, fourth at 33 points versus Crystal Palace, 15th at 16 points, Saturday at 10 a.m. City is minus 600, Palace is plus 1,600, the draw is plus 1,600. I'm sorry, the draw is plus 600. City minus two and a half is plus 135, Palace is minus 180. And so I cannot believe how much Crystal Palace talk we have this week. I think they're coming up in every segment, but let's go ahead and keep it going. (laughs) They hung with Liverpool last week, beating them soundly on XG, despite being a man down for the last, you know, kind of 20 minutes of that game. Hughes was really tough in the midfield, which makes no sense to me, as he's got the complexion of the ghost of Christmas pass. It looks like he should float through the opponents on tackles, but he was haunting the hell out of Endo last week. And it's like I've been saying all all along, Brett, Liverpool really miss McAllister at the holding position. They can't wait to get that guy back to play a proper six. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, City let Luton hang on to the very end as their struggles continue. Holland's injury is lingering. I Everything I was reading today says that the Club World Cup is more likely to return than this weekend. And they're probably going to be without Doku and Grealish as well. So I cannot believe I am saying this, but if they're going to set the line at two and a half with all of these injuries and with Palace not being a complete and utter disaster, I'm actually looking at the Palace minus 180 for my pick this week. Yeah, I uh, I actually w- w- took it on the adjusted. I went I went to the plus one and a half uh, at plus 140 because this is this is the exact type of game for me that. I see this as a team with no other um, obligations as far as their schedule in terms of Europa League, deep runs in Carabao Cup, uh, you know, uh, Champions League, obviously, is something Crystal Palace isn't a part of. Um, and this just seems like the perfect time. City uh, was able to rest, you know, some of their starters in the last Champions League game. That'll That'll help them a little bit here. But again, City's been playing a ton of important matches. They're going to have a ton more that are coming up. Like this is just a team that they've been obviously played a ton of games last season, which is still going to carry over into this year. So this is like the type of bet where if this was like in a vacuum and we were playing one Premier League game a week, I would not be taking Crystal Palace plus one and a half against Manchester City. I just would not. Right now, it's December 14th. They're going to play on the 16th uh, or 16th or 17th. This is is the, the match where I'm like, Absolutely, this is a schedule match for me. I am that's the only reason why I would take a palace at plus one and a half here is just the fact that the schedules are going to say palace has the advantages, they are going to be the more rested team. And you know, the Holland injury is big. I mean, obviously, City had won a league title without him. Um, I think Gundawan was like their leading goal scorer, like 12 goals or whatever. So they can still do stuff, but like no KDB, no Holland. Do they really have the gear in them to? you know, pile on two, three goal wins at this point, Toby. I think you bring up a great point about the schedule. And I think this is like a perfect kind of two, one, one, Oh, like grind it out and get out of there. Just try to get the result match for them. They really don't have an incentive to try to pile it on in this particular match. Right. They definitely need the three. Uh, they need to kind of keep the, the curve going back up after they manage to grind out that Luton town match, but it's going to be similar here. I don't see any reason they should go for the smash, particularly if they don't have 
people like Halan and Doku, etc., to be the ones powering it. Like Alvarez is a, is a good quality player. Phil Foden is a great player, but those aren't the guys leading the line of somebody I said, oh yeah, they're going to beat a mid-table team for nothing every single time out. Without the, the really like upper echelon offensive weapons uh, in their lineup. I think they would be perfectly happy getting out of their 1-0, 2-0, I don't really have any need to to go after that, you know, kind of huge, huge, huge victory. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this one to me is going to be one where I think United is going to be happy to control the possession and more so than they are going to look to pile up the goals. Um, and so for me, the Rodri anytime goal scorer is plus 350 he had three shots last um, last week against Luton Town. Uh, somehow he had three shots despite his set piece presence. And Luton Town was up at halftime, and somehow City only had three corner kicks, which made me lose my bet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think this that's going to change. That was that had to be really weird and fluke. Yeah, I'm. I don't know how they only had three corner kicks with when you, if you would have told me that scenario and then said, Oh yeah. And city only had three corner kicks in that match. It would have been just throwing me. Um, but with how not there with Rodri, probably going to want to stamp his influence on the game. And with the fact that like Roy Hodgson is not Marcelo Bielsa, he is going to play a 2010 style defensive compact defense here with pals. And so that is like perfect for Rodri to come on to one from 25 yards and launch. They'll have some set piece opportunities. He's going to probably be generally more advanced in the advanced player on the box just because of the injuries and people that are out. So I love the, the fact that this dude is at plus 350 because this is the perfect type of scenario where you're going to get a guy who traditionally isn't a huge part of cities in front of goal play, probably expanding his role a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I brought him up a little bit earlier. Phil Foden to score or assist is minus 140. And with all the injuries that I'm talking about and KDB not back and Holland not back, it's his team right now. And like, I still think he's a tremendous talent. And I think all the dangerous action against Luton Town either started or finished with him. I know he didn't like get either of the two goals, but he was in the dangerous areas over and over again. And so for him to get one of these two um, against uh, against Crystal Palace, I, I think are great odds. I also like his shot on targets, not the one, but the two. If you take two shot on targets, you get a pretty decent number. Yeah, and I mean, the, the wonderful thing about Foden is he is so crafty with playing those quick one-twos, knifing into the box and getting shots and curling them with his left foot. You know, against a, uh, a packed-in defense that with a couple of banks of four, which Palace will probably play, he is like the guy that unlocks that. So I love that bet. All right, Brett. Uh, let's move down to the last game that we're going to cover for the Premier League this week, which is Arsenal, second at 36 points versus Brighton, eighth at 26 points, Sunday at 9 a.m. Arsenal is minus 210, Brighton is plus 525, the draw is plus 340. Arsenal minus a goal and a half, plus 130, Brighton minus a goal and a half, I'm sorry, plus a goal and a half is minus 170. And so I had a question for you, Brett, uh, from watching the Arsenal match last week. You know, we did a big preview of them versus Aston Villa, and I don't recall us one time mentioning that Arteta was not going to be on the sidelines, and it didn't even occur to me until they kept cutting to him in the stands. And so, like, why don't we ever bring that up? Do 
we talk about like managers and do they matter or not? Do touchline bans for a single game? Is that something we should be thinking a lot more about? Because we never seem to factor it into the odds. And there are a lot of TV shots and a lot of upset managers in the stands. And so like as the guy on the couch, it seems like, yeah, I probably should have thought of that. I thought the upset was more likely just because we're going to see this TV event happening over and over again. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know if it's right or wrong. I would never, I don't factor it into my calculus at all because of the today's age and technology, and just the fact that like this isn't the NFL, right? Like they're or even the NBA, like they're not, they're not calling plays. Like there's no, you know, play sheet that the other guys got to run through and take a feel for. They make three subs a match. They give you some touchline instructions, but mostly the way the players are set up before the match, he's already going to be involved with that. He's clearly going to have a say at halftime of what's going on, tells assistants what to communicate if he's not standing outside the locker room or wherever it is, you know, that he can be. Um, and I think, you know, because of that, because of the fact that he can sit there and text to somebody's iPad, hey, tell so-and-so to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that stuff isn't police. So I think the fact that they have relatively limited um, influence in terms of like in-game stuff, and just the fact that, like, the technology is so easy for him to just, like, text his assistant iPads, get Marnelli off. Yeah. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha, <laughs> boss. <laughs> I mean, fair enough, but it, it does seem to, like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm having just confirmation bias and remembering all the times that I've seen it, but it's just like, it just seems like we see a lot of television shots of upset managers at the stands and not necessarily upset at the tactics, but upset at the results. And it's not really something that we managed to factor into the game analysis on the betting line. Um, in terms of Arsenal's performance on the pitch last week, like they got off a lot of shots at the first half, but they didn't actually ever look dangerous to me, which is kind of surprising given the quality of the attackers they had in there, right? Like they don't have injuries as an excuse like some other teams do. They're running out Jesus, Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, Rice, Havers. Like this is their first choice six in the attacking band, and they still don't seem to be penetrating quite enough. Like Martinelli was almost invisible. Saka is still far too invisible for his standing in the game like people keep talking about him like he's a top five ten talent in the world yet he can go three or four matches where i barely even remember him playing not just like three or four minutes i'm talking entire matches uh and so i was really surprised at this line right i mean brighton minus a goal and a half like that seems a little disrespectful to a team that's at eighth that's definitely capable of top of the table performances they're capable of bottom of the table performances as well but given that they're you know but absolutely able to stay within uh, sh shouting distance of any team in the Premier League, certainly including Arsenal. I just like them on the adjusted number. They've only lost by two goals twice the entire year. And Arsenal, they drill the Sheffields and Bournemouths of the world, but they eke out points against the top half of the table consistently, which is to their credit, it's a superpower, but it doesn't make me comfortable them carrying multi-goal lines against quality teams. Yeah, this is this is where it's gonna hurt. I'm not sure how quality of an opponent Brighton is at this point, buddy. <laughs> All right. I mean, the they they clearly have the poison chalice effect. They've actually even really struggled in Europa League this year relative to kind of their standing in the Premier League. 
Um, and I, I mean, the, the losses of Caicedo and McAllister were just huge for this team. Um, you know, this that was a big step. You know, we, we joked about some of the player combinations we've seen them throw out, you know, with those absences. And then now they got this schedule conjecture and, and they're, they come back from they're not playing Tuesday or Wednesday and then coming back and playing Sunday like they're playing today as we record. And then they got to go play their match over the weekend. So this is this Brighton team is in a little bit of a, a trouble. I mean, they just they just they went all in on, on kind of stacking these attackers. And I think the core positions that probably give you more game to game stability with these midfielders, helping them control matches for, they just don't have that right now. Um, and it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, I'm sad as someone who's really respected what Brighton's doing. Um, but you know, their, their goal differential is in there, or their, their goal differential and their expected goal differential is respectable, but it's not at the same level that it was last season. Not that we, we probably should have expected it to be, but there, there is a clear gap between Arsenal and where Brighton is. Um, so you're taking I, Arsenal on the adjusted? Uh, I'm, I am actually taking Arsenal on the adjusted. I'm taking them at, at minus one and a half. I hate doing that. Sorry, Brighton. But the thing I worry about the most is I don't think Brighton is going to have the ability to kind of control a game through the midfield. And we've talked about this. Arsenal is one of the best defensive teams in the world. Um, and I think they're going to, they're going to be really be able to suffocate this Brighton attack. So I'm I'm more worried that Brighton is not going to be able to put goals on the board. And we know with the Zerbi style, they're going to give Arsenal chances. So that's where I think the value is the, at the minus one and a half. All right. Well, I'm not worried about that because my prop is both the score yes at minus 140. And my analysis here is very simple. It's literally happened in every Brighton game this year. They played 16 Premier League oh, games gosh. and they have 16 games where both teams scored. So we're well past a fluke at this point. And if I'm just going to say they're going to do it every time, I might as well add in what I bet every single time in an Arsenal match, right? So I'm playing a two-leg FGP, both score yes, Odegaard one shot on target. You put the two of them together, you get plus 150. Yeah, I actually, I am taking an Arsenal player to do something with a goal involvement. Uh, I'm taking Jesus at plus 170 as an anytime goal scorer. But believe me, I want to, if, if I didn't know that every week I have to anticipate an Odegaard bet from you, I would have thought long and hard about that one as well. Yeah, I just have to find new ways to get in it so nobody gets uh, overly bored. But like it keeps cashing for me. What do you want? Yeah. I want I want to win the five pint. I want to drink for free. So I'm going to keep playing the one that I know is like my security <laughs> blanket. It's all just going to put, you know, suds on the table. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that was a great run through the Premier League. But we are going to do our last study abroad segment of the year, Brett, as we focus in on the holiday fixtures of the Premier League. We will pick this segment back up in 2024. But we have one league that we have not given any love to so far and it is league Une in uh, france and we will be visiting them right after this hi it's mike greenberg letting you know espn bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring the official sports book of espn has exclusive offers and markets from scott van pelt stephen a smith and me plus many more from the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, let us head down to France, a place that I am not welcome after being thrown out forcibly in my 20s. It is a long story. I will tell somebody off the air. Uh, but it has been very good to Chelsea over the years. And so League Un or Un or I don't know. I think it's Un. I've, been, I've un. listened to a bunch of pronunciations. My mom speaks a little bit of French and I can never say it right. League Un. Yeah, well, it's it's League One when I'm usually talking about it, but I'm doing my best, guys. I'm, I'm trying here to speak uh, the local language. I don't um, think anybody comes to us because we expect us to get pronunciations right, even though I try so hard and you love to mock that fact. You do we are best. just not those guys. Uh, so this league has produced a lot, a lot of high-quality players in the Premier League. And some say, Brett, that it is the best uh, league to buy out of for the premier league style of football. So for Chelsea specifically, like it's a who's who, of who's the legends at the clubs in this century. It's Hazard, it's Conte, it's Petr Cech, it's Drogba himself came out of this league. Uh, and like Chelsea's not the only one to benefit from it. There's been a lot of high end talent at all the big six that have been plucked. What is it? about this league that makes it translate so well to the premier league when we've had so many flops from like the Bundesliga and from, uh, from Spain and from other leagues come into England. Uh, I think part of it is just the style of play. I think in Germany, we've talked about this when we've done our study abroad there, there is no midfield in Germany. It is just an end, end transition pressing. It is no control of games whatsoever. It is just chaos in Germany. Uh, La Liga has seen a pretty massive talent train, although that is definitely affecting the French League at this point. Um, but La Liga plays really slow. We talked about it with Girona, who, by the way, took out Barcelona last week, um, yep. that most teams have kind of adapted to play a style more akin to how do you beat Barcelona and Real Madrid, and they've copied Atletico a lot. So you've seen kind of some stylistic stuff going on in Spain that I think has hindered the the transferability of their players to other leagues. Um, and then, you know, Serie A is, is sort of like a chill retirement league. Like you're not getting up and down. There's not as many possessions. There's not as much pressing. It's more of a laid back league. So the numbers that players can put, put up certainly have a little bit of a tax, probably not as high as the Bundesliga. I haven't, I haven't looked at recent data on that. Um, but Ligon is is definitely kind of up there in terms of the stylistic similarities to Premier League with the pressing, with the way the teams are playing, with some emphasis on the midfield. Um, the problem is, is because of the success rate of that league, because of the fact that they're getting they're in deep trouble right now with their TV deal not being renewed, is we are seeing a massive talent drain out of the French League that would probably be almost totally completely irrelevant if <laughs> the Saudis didn't come in and buy PSG. So yeah. this is this is a dying league in a lot of ways. Um, I think Dante, who's 40 years old now, has played every outfield minute for the second place team in this league. Oh. Uh, not a good sign, buddy. <laughs> yeah, not a good sign. Well, the game that we're going to talk about is a PSG game, of course. It'd be hard to like enter this league and do some hipster one. So we will hit the the 
the hundred pound gorilla or the thousand pound gorilla, however many pounds you want to assign to them. And they are going against Lille this week, fourth at 27 points versus PSG, first at 36 points. This game is Sunday at 2.45 p.m. PSG is minus 120. The draw is plus 280. Lille is plus 300. PSG minus half a goal is minus 115 over at Caesars. And Lille is minus 115. So, uh, Brett, PSG, they still have Mbappe, but are they still PSG, like capital PSG? They don't have... Messi, they don't have Neymar, and they didn't do much to replace them. Like around Mbappe, they still have Ugarte, they still have Akimi. They're world class. Maybe Dembele as well is world class. But after that, then what? Like you talk about them being a dying leave. Mbappe finally finishes this uh, Real Madrid flirtation and heads there next year, and it's just Ugarte, Hakimi, and then the rest of the league. Like, what is going to happen? Like, is PSG ever going to reload? Are they ever going to spend those, you know, oil money again, or are they just going to fade as long along with the rest of the table? I'm curious to see if this team has learned that you can't just buy a bunch of star powered players and then expect the team to play well. Um, I think we, we may have talked to them a little bit, kind of, we definitely talk about PSG off the air on the year. I'm not sure how many times we've mentioned kind of the flawed nature of that messing Neymar and Bappe thing. Like you're not going to have the ball for hundred percent of the match. And at those points in those players careers and with their personality types, uh, they are not doing anything when PSG doesn't have the ball and that causes huge problems. So I think in a lot of ways, some of PSG's signings this year, or maybe lack of signings this year, demonstrated that they're looking to build more coherent teams. And even though they finished second in their group in the, in the Champions League, their expected results were by far and away first in what was easily the toughest group in the Champions League this year. I mean, we mentioned before that they absolutely um, dog-walked Newcastle, I think, two or three weeks ago, whenever they played. Um, you know, and I, I like Luis Enrique as a good manager. I think Dembele is really good. I think when we talk about Usman Dembele's career, it's just been derailed by injuries, a weird time at Barcelona. Like, he is a very talented football player. Like, he is very good. Mbappe, especially in this league, is still great but we kind of forget about him because we don't see him week to week. Also, he definitely is like, dude, and this is a whole other conversation on a different podcast. I'm not sure shows up in big moments all the time. Um, but That's I, really I, weird to say about a guy who had the World Cup final that he had. Yeah, but I, but there are there are lots of Champions League matches and lots of stretches, and I'm not sure if it's like you know like a psychological thing where he's like choking as much as it is like he has a different game where he's not like the pure poacher finisher that Holland is, but he's also not the kind of like ball carrier get into the box guy that that Neymar was. So like there are ways that he can kind of go long stretches in big matches where he just isn't involved, um, you know, because his big asset is his speed, right? But his, his in, in this context of playing Lille and in league on, like, it doesn't matter. He is by far and away the best player on the pitch. He is going to shoot five or six times this match. And the talent gap here is huge. Like, you know, Lille had the, the amazing run. Um, Christophe Galtier, who is got arrested for racism uh, after he left for PSG. Um, you know, this he took a Lille team. He figured out a way, um, and he had a little bit more talent at his disposal there to make them competitive, to put them in, in that title race, um, capture the league title and upend PSG. 
this is not that Leal team anymore. The, the players are all gone. The talent level has dropped. I think Jonathan David is about the only player that you would probably say is like a plus talent um, yeah. at this point. And so I think this is going to just kind of be a, a lopsided thing. The, the only problem when you talk about PSG is like the French league hasn't mattered to them in forever. It's always been the Champions League, right, Toby? It's all yeah. that's all PSG has cared about with this new ownership group is like, Liga was an afterthought. When are you going to win the Champions League, right? Yeah, but this is their chance to separate in Ligue 1, right? Yeah. Because like the, they're in between Champions League stages now. They've wrapped up the group stage. They've qualified again. Uh, the knockout rounds won't begin for a few months. And this is where they like pile on points to make sure that when those Champions League camp games come up, they can get full priority and not have the embarrassment of losing the league. And so like I like them quite a bit in this matchup. As you mentioned, Jonathan David's the only real guy that Lil has. Like they have a couple other kids that are developing, but are aren't like the same same quality they were in the past. I completely agree with your analysis. And so getting them at PSG at only minus 115 on that minus 0.5 feels like a bit of a gift. The only way I see them losing is exactly what you said, like just not caring whatsoever, like just having going full French and sleeping, matching, sleepwalking their way through this. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and back them and I'm going to combine it with Mbappe just because when else are we going to talk about PSG again? So I get to get Mbappe scoring and PSG wins. I get to combine the two and I get plus 155. Of course, of course, I'm going to do that. Uh, yeah, well, you and I are in the same vein there. Um, I'm actually just taking the over of two and a half on the team goals because PSG has had some matches, even against you know some of the better teams in France, and then we mentioned in the Champions League where they have put up some monster shot creation numbers, like monster, like two and a half, three expected goal total type of things. Um, so this could be this is kind of riding the value on this at plus two fifty. You know that one out of every two times against a clearly um, inferior team, they're going to really just lay it on them, um, and I like those odds. Cool. All right. Well, I liked my five pints this week, not as much as I did last week, which is probably a problem since you're beating me 5.25 to 2.8. But go ahead and try to start my comeback. And I am going with Phil Foden to score or assist at minus 140. Uh, for my second pint, I'm going with Liverpool and Manchester United. Both score no at plus 135. And I've got three more plus bets, Brad. I'm really, I'm really going after it this week. Spurs to win and both score plus 220. And Bape scores and the PSG money line is plus 155. And Arsenal and Brighton both score plus Odegaard. One shot on target plus 150. Good luck keeping up with me. <laughs> I got a lot of plus numbers in mind here, too, although I want to mirror one of your bets here. Uh, but I'm going to actually take the other side of the Spurs match as we were we were at odds on that one. Uh, Spurs clean sheet win at plus 190. Uh, I am taking the United both to score Noah plus 135. So I'm kind of canceling it out there. Um, sorry, Brighton boys, but I am taking Arsenal minus one and a half at plus 120. I am taking Crystal Palace at plus one and a half at plus 140. And then I am taking the over two and a half team goals of PSG at plus 250. So come on, Mbappe. Come on, Dembele. Give me some goals. 
All right. Well, we will be recording next week uh, ahead of this like crazy Christmas weekend and uh, Boxing Day, et cetera, and so forth. So we will be focusing on the Premier League, but we will be back to talk about a lot of matches. I don't know the full rundown yet. We'll have to see how this weekend shakes up the table, but it would be exciting. Uh, Boxing Day is one of the best days on the calendar, even if it's a weird day this year because of Christmas and they're not playing a full slate. But we will be here to discuss it with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. See you next week, folks.